0: Welcome to Ridgecrest Baptist. We thank you for listening. Now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I don't know where Brother Albert Lyles is today, but I'm glad he ain't here. (laughs) (laughs) Gives me a chance to come back home. Most of you know by now, this was the first church I ever pastored. I left the field of music. I was ministering music at Calvary Baptist Church. And this church was organized, and I just felt led of God to come and uh, to be the pastor here. was here five years before we moved off and went to Georgia for about uh, seven and a half years and then came back for 19 more years. And so I'm glad to be back here today to uh, hopefully minister out of the Word of God to you this morning. Thank you, Kevin, for this good music today. Bless my heart, and I know it blesses all of us. Now, I hope you won't feel offended if I don't know all of your names or if I used to know your name and I can't remember it now. I, I, I heard about a fellow whose name was Elmer. He had a, a good golf game. He knew how to hit the ball. He knew about uh, it would be going down the straight fairway. But he got to the point where he couldn't see anymore. And so he came down to the golf pro's house, uh, the office, and said, I can still hit the golf ball, but I can't see anymore. Could you know? Do you know anybody that can that can follow my ball and, and tell me where it is. And he said, I just lose every ball, all I all I play. fellow said, yeah, we got Homer. said, he's 92 years old. But he said, he's got great eyesight. Well, he said, put me up with Homer then. And so a couple of days later, he and Homer joined up. Elmer got on the tee box, teed up his ball, reared back, and just slapped the stew out of the ball right down the middle of the fairway. But he never saw it. He turned to his new friend Homer and he said, did you see my ball? Yep, Did. Where is it? I don't know. I forgot. <laughs> now, if I forget your name, just know that, uh, you know, I have trouble sometimes remembering what I had for breakfast this morning. I- I've been sitting here thinking uh, during this time of worship uh, of uh, all the good times that we enjoyed here. You know, this is, uh, I pastored five church in my entire ministry. And uh, I've retired now from the full-time pastor. My health won't let me do all the things that I felt like I needed to be doing, and so um, I, I have retired. But I, I kept thinking back to the times that we had here, and it's the only church out of my entire ministry where I saw true, genuine spiritual revival come. Some of you were here. How many of you here during those four years, three years? Anybody here this morning? That's what I thought. And I remember that uh, during about four years' time, there were hundreds of people who joined this church. I remember there were two or three of those years we had more baptisms than they did people coming by letter. And it was a marvelous time in our church. In God's breath, I've seen people just come in the driveway off McFarland Boulevard, and by the time they'd come in the road, <clears throat> they would already be crying. The Holy Spirit would just melt people's hearts. And I remember getting out of the car up here one day, and I was sitting there crying myself just as I turned off the highway. And I was sitting there crying just for the joy of the Lord, I guess. And when I got out of the car, I looked around, and everybody I saw had a handkerchief up to their eyes or their nose. It was an amazing thing to see the work of God. But you know what? The Bible tells us that God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I want you to know something. If it ain't that way now, it ain't God's fault. It's the only time I've ever seen a church in full revival for three years and more. And a marvelous time it was. Now, I want you to ask you to come and join us today in uh, looking at the the book of the Revelation. Those of you who know me know I love prophecy, and I feel just as at home in the book of the Revelation as I do in the book of John or Acts or whatever it may be, because it's, (laughs) it's such a marvelous book, such a marvelous part of the Word of God. Is my wife out here today? I see her now. I see a lot of gray hair, and I didn't know which one was hers. <laughs> <laughs> but I see her sitting by Maxine there. Uh, we'd been out of church for about three Sundays. I was uh, preaching, and Barbara was uh, out of Sunday school teaching, so she came uh, to church today at Tateville and taught her class and then came on by herself, and I had already come on. So we're glad that she made it this morning. Now I want you to open your book to the book of the Revelation and we're going to spend some time in the first seven or eight verses and I want to talk primarily about the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ because in no other part of the Bible is the deity of Jesus so clearly spoken of as it is in the book of the Revelation. Now that doesn't mean that the deity is not found in other places. It just means that in the book of the Revelation there's a different slant to it all. There's a different way of looking at the deity of the blessed Lord. Now, you know probably by now that revelation comes by visions, comes sometimes by words, sometimes it comes by dreams, sometimes it comes in symbols. It comes in symbols. It usually tells you when there are symbols either that have been used or that are about to be used or that are being used. Words like like and as if or as. Those are the words that appear throughout the book of the revelation. And when you see those words, it means that the Bible is using symbolic language to express the reality of a thought or an idea of a, of a, or of a revelation from God. And so the Bible tells us, for example, that these angels that we see in chapters 2 and 3, now we're going there, but I do want to mention a few things. Chapters 2 and 3 talk about the Christ of the church. You know there's a picture of Jesus walking up and down his churches those seven churches in the book of the Revelation. And you know there's some tremendous times of study when we read and look and meditate upon the message of God given to those seven churches. I tell you, I believe that Jesus Christ still walks the aisles of churches in this day and age. Now, some churches, he may not be very welcome. You know that? There are some churches churches who are like the church at Pergamos. The church at Pergamos was one of those churches that was married to the world. They felt like that if they wanted to reach the world, they had to become like the world. That if they could become like the world, they could attract the world to them and to their church. My beloved, they've got it all backwards. That's just all there is to say. You don't become like the sinful people of the world in order to draw them to Jesus. You become more like Jesus and less like them. That's what draws men and women, boys and girls to the Lord Jesus Christ. For there we see the difference between Jesus and all of the rest of us. Now, there may may not be a lot of churches that are married to the world, totally, as was their church at Pergamos, but I want to tell you something, there's some heavy dating going on. There's some heavy dating going on. There are a lot of people who don't want to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the church that survives all of the tensions and the pressures and the unpopularities of this day are not the churches that become like the world, but it's the churches that become unlike the world. Churches that preach and teach the the story of our Lord and of his deity. The angels, the Bible tells us in chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Revelation, the angels are the ministers of the churches. Now, you didn't know that for 19 years, one stretch, and five years the other stretch, that you had an angel for your pastor. Did you know that? You've got an angel for your pastor right now. I've been, knowing, I've been knowing Albert Lyons for a long, long time. We both are not, not really chi- spring chickens anymore. I've been knowing him for a long time. But I want to tell you, he's an angel. You know why? Because he is a messenger of the Lord. That's what an angel is. And the Bible tells us that Jesus looks at his ministers as angels. They're messengers of the Lord. And also they are stars to the churches. And so the Bible tells us that these are just symbols, symbolic language used of the reality of a pastor or of a minister in a church. And so the Bible tells us that. Now, in chapters 13 and chapter 17 of the book of the Revelation, don't go there. We're not going there yet, but I'm still in the introduction. I'll be through with an introduction in about 30 minutes, and then we'll go on to preach. But in chapters 13 and 17, we see some marvelous teachings about the Lord and all about religion, not the church, but about religion. Chapter 13 begins by John saying, I saw this great monster come up out of the sea. And in the symbolic language of that chapter, he's talking about the, the population as a whole. The sea was a symbol for the population. That's what Jewish thought is. And John was a Jew, and God gave the revelation in Jewish thoughts and ideas. And so he says, I saw this great monster come up out of the sea. And then he begins to describe that great monster. Come to find out, it's a female monster. And it has sway over all of the earth. And the Bible tells us that in religion and in economics and in commercial things, that, he, uh, that this woman is the great, great influence of the end of the age. Now, chapter 17 tells us a lot more about that woman. First of all, we read that she's beautiful. Boy, she's made up like you wouldn't believe. It's Saturday night every day of the world for her. And it's the kind of thing that she's made beautiful. She's made herself beautiful to the world. She has become like the world. She has sold out to the world. And she's still trying to reach the world, but for her own sake and not for his sake. Now, how do we know who this woman is? It is a woman of religion. It is a woman of politics. It is a woman of commerce and of economy, all welded into one woman. We don't know who she is until we come to chapter 17 in the book of the Revelation. And almost at the end of that chapter, this is what the Bible tells us. At that time, it reveals to us that this woman sits on the seven hills. Now, if you've ever been in second grade, you know what the city of seven hills is. What is it? What? Break up everybody in the church. Three people are awake. Come on. The city of seven hills is what city? The city of Rome. Rome what? Georgia? <laughs> no. Rome, Italy. Known as the city of seven hills. Palatine and sealed in and all the other, all the other hills. Now, here's the point. <clears throat> there is a woman, and that's, a, that's another symbol for a religion or a religious body. There is a woman that comes up out of the human race itself, and she is known by her political strength, her intellectual strength, her commercial strength, and her, her and her religious influence. That's the way she's known. And she's a woman who sits on the seven hills of Rome. Now, that's got to be some kind of woman, is it not, to take seven hills for her to sit on. She sits on these hills, and over all of the world, she has total sway and total dominion. Now, remember, the true church is not going to be a part of that church. The true church has already been raptured. We've already gone on up to be with the Lord. The saved lost or the saved dead and the dead dead are all going to be called up to be with the Lord at the rapture. That's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And after Revelation chapter 3, the end of that chapter, we read nothing else about the church. In fact, that woman that I just talked about, religion, she is a religious organization, and we call her a church today. But she's a religious organization. Out of that religious organization, according to Revelation 13 and 17, is going to come the man that we call the Antichrist. He's the man who's going to be opposed to Christian religion. We're already seeing that. The world is being swayed right now, folks. Listen to me. And this country, the greatest country on earth, is being swept along in the tide of the kind of people in the kind of political regime and the kind of church organizations and all of that that are just so much like everything and everyone else. And the real people today in America who are being sorely criticized and sorely cut down are the people who unfailingly wear the badge of the cross. You heard what the airport in San Antonio did just this week. They're trying to shut down all the Chick-fil-A places. Not only in the airport, but in other places as well. I've been in that airport. If I wanted a Chick Fil A, I knew where I could go to get a Chick Fil A sandwich. But that's the point I'm making: is that and you you talk about and also I heard just this week somebody up in Washington D.C. who else who raised their voice against abortion is now just being almost slain every day because they are talking about a message that is not a, that is not popular with the with the political crowd, and with the Satan's crowd, but they're talking about something that we ought to listen to because the Bible tells us it is wrong to kill little babies. Now, there's a passage in the book of Malachi, and I want you to hear this. Malachi chapter 2 begins by saying, And the priests, the priests of Israel, I have talked with you, but you would not listen. Now, do you get that? God says, I've been giving you the message, but you haven't been giving the message out. I've been telling you what's right and what's wrong, but you aren't telling anybody else what's right and what's wrong. I've been showing you what's moral and immoral, but you aren't taking it to heart. To you, it doesn't matter whether you call it immoral or immoral. You got to the point in your own life and in your own beliefs where that which is moral has become immoral, and that which God calls immoral, you call it moral. I remember when I was in high school, if a guy was today what we call a homosexual, if that's what he practiced, or if there was a lesbian, that's what they called him. But in those days, they were rejected. Nobody liked to hear that term. We didn't know any of them. I don't know if any of them was there in our high school or not. But we didn't like that term because we knew what it was, and we instinctively and biblically knew that according to the Word of God, that is wrong behavior. We knew that. But you know what? No longer do we feel that way. Very few people feel that way anymore. Now it's embraced, it is recognized, it is welcomed and we pat them on the back and if you stand for that kind of lifestyle you're in with the crowd they love you they will adore you but you speak you you speak against that and you're going to be unpopular with everybody in that crowd everybody they don't like you anymore they don't love you anymore and they won't love you anymore Now, that's the kind of thing that John is raising when he's talking about these seven churches in the book of the Revelation. You remember the first church, Ephesus, was a church that had left its first love. They used to fall in love. They had fallen in love with Jesus, but they'd fallen out of love with the Lord for some reason or another. We don't know why, but they had. Now, here's the thing about it. There are many churches that I know of across Alabama and to southeast and then across this world. I have been to some churches that it's very, very obvious that people still are in love with the Lord and they're in love with one another. You can see it. You can hear it. You can sense it when you walk in the walls, that they love one another and they love the Lord. But I've also been in some churches where the Lord was the last one to be welcomed. They just don't welcome anymore. They want their crowd. They want their way. They want their agenda. They want everything that they want, and they don't want anybody to say anything to them about it if it's not right, because guess what? They're the ones who are right, according to them. So I've seen those kind of churches, and Jesus is walking in his churches now in the book of the Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3. And so here's the point I want to make is, after saying all that is this, Jesus still knows his churches. He knows them. He knows what they believe. He knows what they feel. He knows what they sense. He knows what their heartbeat is. He knows where they're mission minded and evangelistic minded. He knows whether they love their neighbors, their communities, and he knows whether they love one another. He also loves, he also knows if they're lukewarm, and it's a kind of lukewarmness that makes you want to throw up. That's what the Bible says. Can you imagine God sitting up there with a with a budget by, by his throne because he's about to throw up when he looks at some of his churches today and age? That's the way the Bible tells it. Now, having said that, the revelation. Now, the next word of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ can mean one of two things, or it can mean both things, and both of them be true. Here it is. The revelation that comes from Jesus Christ Would be a good way to look at this. Or the revelation that is about Jesus Christ is another good way. But either way, they're both true. So the revelation of Jesus Christ... Notice now, here's the string of the revelation. What's the revelation mean? The revelation is from a Greek compound that means to take the cover off of, to lift the lid. And so here in the revelation, we're having the cover lifted off of Jesus. We're having the lid taken away so we can see him in his all his beauty and all of his glory. The revelation from Jesus Christ, or about Jesus Christ, notice now, which God gave to him. The first recipient of the revelation is Jesus Christ himself. He knew it before you did. He knew it before I did. He knew it before John did. And God gave it to him, notice there, to show his servants. Jesus was to give the revelation that he got from God, either about himself or of himself, he was to show it to his servants. Who are his servants? Are you a servant? If you serve the Lord, you serve him. If you love the Lord, and if you're interested in prayer, and you're interested in Bible study, if you're faithful in church, if you do all these things, and you love God supremely above everything, you are a servant of the Lord. And so the Bible tells us, you then have also received the book of the Revelation. But now notice, the Bible says the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants, now notice, things which must shortly take place. Now that little phrase bothers a lot of people because of one word. The word is shortly. That's what's in the King James Bible, which is what I'm using today. So the revelation about Jesus Christ are about things that he's going to bring into play shortly. Now John saw these visions and heard these words about 96 B.C. about 40 yards after Jesus was crucified and went on to back uh, in glory to be with with his father. And so John was one of the earliest ones about all of the book of the Revelation. Now there are some people who say, well, the things that the Bible, that the Revelation talks about were things that did not come to pass shortly. Well, it doesn't mean that they're going to come past in the next 10 minutes. We need to understand. This does not, this, this does not say anything at all, at all about, when, about when the Lord is going to come, folks. None not say a word about that. You recall Jesus saying to the disciples one day, He said, you guys are talking about the coming of the Lord. He said, let me tell you the truth. He said, I don't know when I'm coming. The angels of heaven don't know. No man knows. Only the Father in heaven knows when I'm going to return. That's all. That's all. I take a... Well, I say I take it. I didn't pay for it. Some lady in my church uh, uh, bought a subscription and had it sent to me. They're pretty good in some ways, but in a lot of ways they're not, because this last week I got another issue. And you know what they're featuring in that issue? How we can know the times of the Lord's coming. We don't know the times of the Lord's coming, folks. It's not said in the Bible when he's going to come. And here's another thing that we need to understand. We're not given any signs about the rapture of the church. Wait a minute. The signs that we're given about the end of times are for the world at large of that day and not of this day. The teaching of the Bible is this. The rapture of the church, the coming of our Lord in the air, could occur at any moment, at any moment, of any day, of any year, any time it could. He wants to come back. It could happen. I don't know if this service is going to, enter, going to come here. I don't know if we're going to finish here. We may finish up there. Wouldn't that be something? I'd have a lot bigger crowd, wouldn't we? There'd not be that we'd that there'd be a lot more room up there to be up in the air with our Lord and worshiping Him because but you see the point is we don't know when the Lord's coming therefore Jesus said be ye also ready for in such a time as you don't know you don't think that's the day it's going to happen like that and it's gone now the things which must shortly take place now. Is anybody in here notice what a tachometer is? I'm hiding my eyes from the light. I want to see. Anybody, if you know what a tachometer is, raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to explain to the church. I just want to know, do you know what a tachometer is? How many of you do? Raise your hand. I want to see. Yeah, a few people do. It means the revolutions, the speed of the revolutions. What this word means, that's the word tachos that's that's here translated shorter. And what it means is this. It doesn't mean to say it's going to start in 10 minutes, but it does mean this. When it does start, it's going to be just like a tachometer. It's just going fast and fast and fast, and boom, it's going to be over. All the history, all the history of the whole mankind is going to be wrapped up in the last three and one half years of the Earth's population. That's what it's going to mean. And so he said all these things which must shortly turn to uh, uh, take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel. Now, who's the angel? He is a messenger. So he sent and signified by his angel to his servant, John. So there is the string of the revelation. Comes from God, comes to Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. It's going to come through Jesus Christ to his servants. And it's going to come from that. And finally, that the, the very last part of it, it's going to come to his special servant, John. Now, what did John do? First of all, it says that he bore witness to the word of God. Isn't that what we're all to do? That's what we're all to do. I thought about this as we were singing these songs, this beautiful music this morning, and how it all came in with a message. I I know when God's in a crowd. I know when God's going to bless. I know when God is in where the service is great for him. You know how I know? Because the music sets the plate for the dinner. And when I hear music talking about Jesus and belonging to Jesus and the love of our Lord, and when I hear the church Raising its voice in unison to glorify the Lord and to worship the Lord. I know God is in that place. I know God's in this place this morning. I know he is. Now, notice what happens. John says he's the one who bore witness to the Word of God. That's the written Word of God, I believe. But it's also to the Word of God that John heard. Remember, this is the Word that God gave to him through Jesus' His Son of all these things. And it's John who bore witness to the Word of God and... He bore witness to the testimony of Jesus Christ, and he bore witness to all the things that he saw. John is seeing these things with his eyes. They're visions that God has given to him. Now, notice, this is a, this is a marvelous thing about the book of the Revelation. There are 66 books in the Bible. Only one book, only one book gives a specific promise of specific blessings if you read it and heed it. And that's the book of the Revelation. Now, if your soul is dry and your soul is thirsty and you don't feel like you're having any blessings in your heart and in your life, let me tell you how to get some. Start reading and studying and loving the book of the Revelation. God's promise is this. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this. Prophecy. This prophecy means this prophecy of the Revelation. And who keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. It's always near when the Lord could come. It's always just at, our, at hand when the Lord could suddenly come for his church. Now, again, notice what he says. Now, here's the thing about it. First of all, we want to understand that Jesus is going to be presented in this book of the Revelation as the deity uh, the, as the deified God. He is God in human flesh. Now John says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. So the first people to receive this message are the churches of Ephesus and Sardis and Smyrna, Pergamos, Laodicea, Philadelphia, all those churches in my Asia Minor. <laughs> now here's it: grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. We'll come back to that in a moment. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. You know who the seven spirits are? Go over to chapter 11. Don't do it now. Go to chapter 11 in the book of Isaiah, verse 2, and that tells you by name who the seven spirits are. When you get home today, look it up. Chapter 11 in the book of Isaiah, verse 2. So the Bible says, "'Grace comes to you, and peace comes to you from him who is and who was and who is to come.'" and from the seven spirits which are about his throne. And notice also verse 5, and from Jesus Christ. Now notice there's some specific things about Jesus he wants us to understand. He's a faithful witness. Now John says he's a witness too, but see now he's like his Lord. Jesus is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and thirdly the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us, now there's another word in the in the Greek language that is translated washed. It's a word that means to be loosed, to be loosed, like you loose a a, a, a mule from his stall or a ship from the harbor. To be loosed from our sins in His own blood, and then He made us to be kings and priests to His Father, to His God and His Father, and to Him did Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now He closes that first section. With that little word, amen, which means, God, let it be so. Let it be so. And then he begins talking about the coming. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth shall mourn because of him. Even so, amen. There it is again. Lord, let it happen. Lord, let it happen. A lady asked me this last week. I was in a doctor's office. She said, do you really think Jesus could come back in our day? You know what my answer was? Absolutely. He doesn't have to go by somebody else's schedule. He's got his own. I don't know when it is. I am the Alpha, he said in verse 8. I am the Omega, the beginning and the end says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You see the same thing that God said up there in the early part of the Bible where it says the, from the one who was and who is and who is to come is now coming from the lips of our Lord Jesus. And just like in the New Testament Gospels, the Bible tells us God is the deified one in all of the universe and just like God the Father, so is God the Son. He is deity in human flesh. Same language is used about Jesus and by Jesus that was used by God and of God. Now, first of all, I want to say this. My sermon has one point today, but it's got about three subpoints, And it's got about 15 sub sub points. So we're going to be here for a while. So just take a yawn. If you get sleepy, lean over and lean on somebody's chest or on their shoulder somewhere, you know. I tell, I've told my people down at Ridgecrest, I, uh, down at Taylorville, I don't care if you go to sleep while I'm preaching. That doesn't bother me a bit. It does bother me if I go to sleep while I'm preaching. But if it, if you need to take a nap, just go on and take a nap. Doesn't bother me for one. Just don't snore so, snore so loud everybody on your whole section of the church can hear you. I gotta tell you a story. We were going to a funeral years ago. One of the members of this church had a mother who lived way up north, Bibb County, Fayette County, Lamar, somewhere up in there. And we went to the funeral. And the little country church was just packed and jammed to the walls. Everybody knew this dear old lady. She was born and reared in the community. She joined the church. She was saved and baptized in that church. She'd been in it all of her life. Everybody knew knew what a kind of lady she was, what kind of person she was. Now she's dead. They had a young pastor who didn't know a lot about her, but he said he had visited with her on a number of occasions, and he began to talk about how sweet she was and what a kind person she was and how, how, how he felt so honored to be in her home and to be able to talk with her and to pray with her. And all of a sudden you could hear people all over that church go, <laughs> And I looked around and everybody in that church was crying. You know why? Because they were reminiscing just as that preacher was talking about that dear old lady. What a wonderful saint of God she was. So everything sort of quietens down. I'm sitting over here with Scott and all of a sudden we hear this. <laughs> and instance, like everybody's head was on a rope. I turned over there, and I said before I turned, I turned to Scott, and I said, that's, and I won't call his name, I said, that's so-and-so. He was a member of this church. Some of you know him. And I said, that's so-and-so. He's in this funeral. I said, I didn't know he was. I hadn't seen him. But we looked over, and sure enough, he was sitting there, his feet were crossed in front of him. His hands were folded down like this in front of his lap, and he was going... And somebody did to him what his wife used to do him right here. I've seen him sit right back there, and she'd punch him in the ribs. I I think that man went home with bruised ribs about every Sunday. Well, here's the thing that John is talking about, you see. We don't need to be sleeping and let the world go by. We need to be awake and alert at all times. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. First of all, John is teaching us that Jesus is a person of deity. Now, that is the logical place to begin because of this. If Jesus is a deity, then he has no business walking among churches and trying to judge them, none whatsoever. If Jesus is not deity, he has no, no authority at all to be your Savior or my Savior, our Redeemer. He has no authority. If Jesus is not deity, he has no mandate to be the sovereign over all. The central idea in all of the book of of, of the Revelation is who will reign. Who's going to be the sovereign? Who's going to be the leader above all the rest of the leaders of this earth? Only one is going to be, and that's our Lord. But if he's not deity, he has no mandate from God. He cannot, he's not qualified to do it. So we need to understand something about his deity. Now, the first of all that John wants us to see is this. We know the deity by the character of the man. Here is a man whose name is Jesus, and we know him because of his character. First of all, the Bible tells us in verse 5, the first part of that verse, he is the faithful witness. Now, the word faithful is a Greek word that means he's a load-bearing witness. This church has load-bearing walls. I was here when that church about here was built. I was gone when the auditorium was built. But that all of that church from here back, and then this wall, this this church has well, uh, load-bearing walls too. But the word that he uses here for faithful is a word that means load-bearing. You know what that means in practical terms, beloved? It does, it means this. It doesn't matter the burdens of your heart. You can dump them all on our Lord. He's able to carry them. He won't break down under the load. He's a faithful witness. He tells the truth. You never have to worry about Jesus, whether he's going to tell a lie. Our nation is just embroiled in the most silly, the most stupid controversy that I think I know in my 86 years of what's just taken place with the Mueller report that's just come out. Clearing the president of all these things that people have been saying for two years about him. You may love him, you may hate him, but the point is, according to the words that we know, And according to the people who spent $30 million and had 19 lawyers on the word who did not like Trump, and they've all come to the same conclusion, that has to be the truth. But I want to tell you something. That doesn't come even close to the truth that Jesus gives because he is truth. And when you see him, you see truth in human skin. And you see truth, lips move. You see truth when you see the blessed Lord. He is the faithful witness. And it never changes in content, no matter the circumstance or the situations of our lives. First of all, Jesus told the truth about God. Now, in the days of the Roman Empire, when Rome was at its strongest, was the days that John lived and saw this vision, and the days that Jesus came with the revelation. There were millions and millions of gods and goddesses all over the inhabited world. But out of all of those, there's only one who can truly say, I am God, and there is none other. I am the Lord, and there is none other. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ who talks about his God. Now, what do we learn about God from Jesus? Well, first of all, we learn that God is personal. He's not an idol. God is a person. He's not somebody who has ears but can't hear, or mouth that can't speak, our nose that can't smell. He's not someone with eyes that can't see. That's not the kind of God he is. He's a God of personal character. He is eternal. He's not. He is the creator of everything. He is not a part of his creation. He stands above and controls all of his creation. He is the sovereign. <clears throat> I went back again and read. <clears throat> you remember that story in the book of Daniel? <clears throat> Excuse me, where Nebuchadnezzar is being judged by God temporarily. It's a temporary judgment. But God is saying to Nebuchadnezzar, he said, you're going to be like a beast in an open field. He said, you're going to go out and he said, you're going to sleep in the grass at night. You're going to be covered with dew. When you get hungry, you're going to eat grass. And when you want dessert, you're going to eat grass. When you need something in your body, you're going to have grass to eat. You're going to have dew on your head. You're going to have fingernails that grow way, way out here long. And you're going to look like and act like and you will be a beast. For seven years, they said. And then God said this as he began to explain what was taking place. God said, I'm doing this that you, to Nebuchadnezzar, that you might know that I am the sovereign over the kingdom of men. Do you get that? I'm the sovereign over the kingdom of men. I'm like a lot of other people. I just get so worked up and I get so angry and I get so mad and everything else about what's going on in this nation. But then I have to stop and think, did Jesus tell us the truth about God? Is God the sovereign of the nations? The Bible says, and God goes on to say, I bring down nations, I put up notions, nations. I grant rulers and I take rulers away. And he said, some of the rulers I give and that I send are rulers of the base kind. That's an amazing prophecy to me. The rulers of the baser sort. God is saying, I'm not giving you great moral giants to be your leaders. That's not the way it happens. I'm giving you men who are the basest people sometimes in the kingdom. I'm giving it to you. But God says, I'm still in control of that man. Don't ever forget who's in control of your life, of your church, of your community, and of your nation. God is in control. We may not understand it. We may not like what's going on. But back behind it all, we know that God is doing everything for a purpose and for a reason. So that's what we know about God. He is holy. He is a loving God. He's not a vengeful God. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus told us the truth about God. But Jesus also told us the truth about man. Now, it's interesting in the light again of what's going on in our day and age, What did Jesus teach us about man? What does the Bible teach? Number one, the Bible teaches us that God created man in God's own image. That's basic. God created man in his own image. Now, here's another thing we need to remember. This is is very basic, too. God created in the beginning two sexes. One's called a man, one's called woman. One's called male, one's called female. And if you're Hebrew, or if you know Hebrew language, one is called Ish, and the wife is called Isha. So you see, here are three great words for man, and yet woman is so part of him, so much a part of him, until she takes her gender after his. Here is male, female. Here is Ish, here is Isha. Here is the way the Bible teaches us that God created us. I just wish we lived among people who really believe that in this day and age. It is sickening and it is immoral what human beings are doing to their bodies because they're not happy the way God made them. And do you know the thing that really bothers me is mothers and fathers are now beginning to say, we're not going to call our boy he or our girl she. That's, they won't hear that language in this household. We're going to call them It it. We're going to let them make up their mind. Do they want to be a girl when they grow up or do they want to be a boy? We'll furnish the money to have operations done. That'll just change everything. That's the way God created us. That's the plan of God. The word confusion is a word that means all out of order. All out of order. And the world is out of order when it comes to male and female and ish and Ishar are man and woman. And so the Bible tells us the truth about man is that God created man. But he told the truth also about man's spiritual nature. Man, though he is tremendously valuable to the Lord Jesus Christ, is the kind of creature that is guilty of the greatest sins, Oftentimes. And so the Bible teaches us, he tells us the truth about man. He tells us the truth about himself. Jesus taught us and said, he is the son of God. He's the only way to God. He is the son of man. That verse in in, uh, in, uh, John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to pray, and you know the rest of that. that. And I love Thomas. Boy, I love old Thomas. Thomas, if he heard something he didn't understand, you know what he would do? He'd raise his hand. He wanted the professor to say it again. I thought about Thomas every time in four years of seminary, every time my hand went up, about every time the pastor got through saying something. And I thought about Thomas. And if Thomas could do it, I can do it too by cracking. And so I'd raise my hand. And I never had but one professor I really had a problem with, but I called him out in class one day. I said, I'm getting sick and tired. I want to say it as respectfully as I possibly can, but I am personally offended by the fact that you're saying to our class, if we don't believe about things like you believe, that we need to go back and study our Bibles, that we don't know the truth. I said I can defend what I believe by the Word of God, but I'm offended by the way you teach. You're the professor and I'm the student, and I understand that and I'm going to recognize that. But I don't agree with the way you're teaching and what you're teaching. I have a friend in this town right now who still remembers. He was sitting right behind me. He said, I remember that morning that Curtis, on a Friday morning, called out the professor. He said, I knew it was coming. I didn't know what it was, but he said, I knew it was coming. He said, the hair on his neck began to stand up. He said, the longer it stood up and the higher it went, the redder his neck got. And he said, I knew Curtis was fixing to say something. Two weeks later, that professor was no longer teaching at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary because I called the vice president and called him out because of that professor. I don't know if I had anything to do with it. It's just the way it happened. Jesus told the truth. He is not only that, the first begotten of the dead has nothing to do with his age, but it has to do with honor. In other words, he has more honor. And we sang about that this morning. He has more honor and more glory than anybody else. <clears throat> it's a word that speaks of his resurrection. You know, I began to think, I thought about this morning, thought about it in Sunday school class before I left to come over here because we were teaching in First, uh, First Corinthians and it dawned upon me while I was sitting in that class, here is Paul the Apostle talking about Jesus was dead, buried, and rose again, that's the gospel. That's the three points of the gospel. And the thing in the middle, the fact that he was buried, proves the other two things. The fact that he was buried proves that Jesus died, and the fact that he was buried also proves his resurrection. There was nothing in that tomb. Nothing but the claws. So Jesus is the first begotten. And I want to tell you something, beloved, your resurrection and mine depends upon his. I'm going to be because he lives, I'm going to live, and you're going to live. Now, the Bible tells us not only that, but he is the prince of the kings of the earth. He's higher than all of them. He has more honor, more dignity, more authority. He's greater than any one of them or her. He's also greater than all of them put together. More honor, more dignity. He's the prince of the kings of the earth. His deity is not only seen in his character, but in his compassion. He loved us, the Bible tells us. He loved us, and because of that, the Bible tells us, He loosed us and washed us from our sins in His own unique blood. He loved us yesterday. That verb is a continuous action verb. He loved us yesterday. He loved you yesterday. He loves you today. And when tomorrow comes, here still is going to be loving you, because it never ends. Doesn't matter what you've said or done or how you've acted, God still loves you, loves you, and He loves you. Here's a, here's a humiliating thing. Did you know that God loves the worst sinner in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, just as much as he loves you? He loves us all. He loves us all. He loves us all. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, he's going to love us. He just keeps on loving us all together, all in all. Some of you remember when we were here, Mark, our oldest son, was here also, was in the youth group at that time. Mark died 14 years ago with esophageal cancer. We were sitting one night at his room. I would work that at Table would be a pastor dear today and I'd go up hospital at UAB and sit in with Mark and we'd talk and pray together and we'd talk to the wee hours of the morning, just dad and son. And we were talking about the goodness of God, and Mark said to me one night, we we'd said a lot of things, we talked a lot, and then things just sort of went silent, like each one of us were thinking. <clears throat> and all of a sudden he said he said to me, He said, Dad, you know what? He said, I've come to realize that if you could cut God, love would pour out. I'd never heard that before. My first thought was, how profound. My second point was, how did that kid get that idea? Did he get it from his daddy? I didn't. I never thought about that. If you could cut God, love would throw. Uh, love would flow out. That's the way God is. But He's also seen not only in His compassion. He is seen also in His cleansing us from our sins. Deity is seen because the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 2, verse 7, none can none can forgive sins except God. Jesus had just said to the people of that day, to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven you. Boy, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees began to come together like bees around honeycomb. What are you talking about? What are you saying? Only God can forgive sins. They spoke the truth, but what they didn't realize, they were speaking to God in human flesh. They weren't speaking to just any old man. They were speaking to God who had come down in human flesh. You can't arrest spirit. You can't nail spirit to a cross. You can't take blood out of spirit. The Bible tells us God had to become like man flesh in every way in order for God to provide for our sins. This is continuous action as well. It's like love. He cleansed me yesterday when I was 12 years of age from all of my sins. He still continues to cleanse me from my sins this day. And when tomorrow comes, I'll probably sin again tomorrow or next day or some other time. But he still will be willing to cleanse me. Let me tell you something, beloved. John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this. Now notice the condition. If. Two-letter word. If. If we confess our sins, what will God do? God is faithful and just. Remember, he's loaded, he's big enough to bear up under the load. But not only that, he is right enough. It's right for God to forgive our sins because he's laid down the rule. And when we pass the rule, God will do what he said. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, what's the next word? All unrighteousness. You hear that? All unrighteousness. He doesn't just cleanse from the worst or the best or the prettiest or the nicest. God cleanses from all of our sins, the Bible tells us. And that means someday when I stand before him, as the song says, I'm going to stand faultless. Faultless. That's the way he's going to look at me, faultless. He forgives my sins. And the construction can mean only that it's his blood and no other blood. Now, with this, I close. He's seen in his deity by his chronology. The Bible tells us that Jesus said, I am the Alpha. And you know, that's the first Greek letter in the alphabet. I am the Omega. That's the last letter. So He is everything in between Alpha and Omega. It's like our saying, he's the A and the Z. He's everything in between. Everything. Then he said, not only was I here yesterday, I'll be here today. And if you need me, I'll be here tomorrow. That's what he said. I was, I am, I am the one coming. So the Bible tells us that the chronology of our Lord tells us he predated all of creation. Before there was ever a man or a woman or an ish or isha, before there was any of that, before there was a garden of Eden, Jesus already was. He is, is in the sense that he is with us today. He is in this room. He's in your heart. He's in your home. He's in your shop. He's in your office. He is everywhere you go. Jesus is with you. There's never been a time when he wasn't was. There's never going to be a time when he won't be is. And there'll never be a time when he won't be the one to come. He is yesterday. He is today. He is tomorrow. Always is. Always was. Always to come. That's the eternity of our blessed Lord. That's his chronology. And because of that, we say, Jesus is God. Why did he do all of this? Because one day he knew a little boy, 12 years of age, burdened down with sin, afraid to even go to sleep at night, afraid he'd die and go to hell. Wouldn't have to have that fear anymore. He came so that kid could have his sins all washed away. And I had this awful guilt all my life I've had that guilt. My mother used to say to us, Son, if you don't do so-and-so, you're going to go you're going to run, run she that was a new word to me. ruin your daddy, my father was a preacher, and she used that all my life to keep my conduct in line with a preacher's son. I never did it all the time, but I tried at least, and I'd get so worried about my sin and my guilt, but that's the reason Jesus came, and I remember the day I was saved at Arbor Springs Baptist Church in Pickens County. I remember we rode a mule in a wagon. Ain't nobody here. Anybody here ever know what a mule in a wagon is? We rode a church in one. And I remember the day I got saved. I was so happy I walked out of that church just like I was walking on clouds. You know the first living thing I hugged when I, got, when I walked out of that church? I walked up that old mule and he was sweaty, all neck, everything, just old white, foamy sweat. I hugged that sucker's neck. And I told him, I got saved a few moments ago. God has washed me from my sins. I'm saved. I'm glory to glory. I'm saved. He's forgiven me. I'm saved. He's cleansed me. I'm saved. Didn't phase the Mew. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of people since then that it didn't phase. sadly enough. So if you're not saved today, it's not God's fault. If you're not saved today, it's not that he doesn't love you, that he didn't die on, your cross, on the cross for your sins. And if you're not right with God, even as a believer, it's not God's fault. And so we're going to ask you today, if there's anything in your life that you know needs to be given to him, to be cleansed, to be straightened out, all you need to do is confess it before the Lord. You don't have to stand up and do it in front of the church. You confess it before the Lord. And I'll guarantee you, the Bible says, he will forgive you because he's just that kind of God. Stand with me with bowed heads and closed eyes as we pray. Our Father, we're so grateful today to know Jesus is God in human flesh, to know that he loves us, always has, and always will. Thank you, Lord, that he's washed us from our sins. He always has and always will. We thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that he's keeping us cleansed moment by moment, and we confess and He forgives because He's good and loving and righteous. And I pray, Father, if there's a one here today who's never trusted Him as Savior and Lord, that today they'll trust Him. Today they'll recognize and realize that God loves them and that He wants to save them from their sins and from the penalty of hell. And if there's a Christian, Lord, today who needs to get right with the Lord, who needs to somehow maybe get right with someone else, Lord, may this be a day of victory in their lives. Because of what God has done for them. Use these times and these moments of invitation to get honor and glory to your name. <clears throat> for we ask it for Jesus' sake. We pray. Now, while heads are bowed and still and eyes are still closed, I want three or four deacons to come forward today. Doesn't matter who you are, I just want you to come and stand here in front. We may need you. And that's why I want you to come. Don't wait on somebody to call you. I don't know who you are, just some come right now and join here and be ready to pray with somebody if anybody comes to this invitation be ready to have a word of prayer with them and to be ready to encourage them now if you're here and you've never been saved I'm going to ask you would you know God's love would you experience that and let God love you right now out of your sin and love you right into the kingdom of God today it can happen it can happen and it will happen when you trust him Maybe you've already done that. You've already been saved, but your life is not what you want it to be, and you don't feel like it's what God wants it to be. You can simply come and say, I want to be forgiven. I want to be cleansed of all my weaknesses, my sins, since I've been saved. I want to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ. That can happen, and it can happen today. Whatever your decision, maybe you're here and you've already been saved, member of another church, part of the Lord in baptism, but today you believe that he wants you to come and be a part of Ridgecrest Church. You step out and come and let one of these men know right now. They're here to help you. Come on now as we sing together, everybody. We hope this message will help you in your spiritual walk and growth. For more about Ridgecrest, please visit us on the web at www.rbc-tuscaloosa.com. Have a great day, and God bless.